Ladies and gentlemen, before I present today's episode, or I should say the first part of a three-part episode reviewing the wonderful album Toys in the Attic by Aerosmith with my good friend John Matola from the Deep Purple Podcast, I just wanted to point out, uh, you know, I love having John on the show. He's a great co-host. Love listening to him on the Deep Purple Podcast, which you guys should totally check out, even if you're not into Deep Purple which, you know, so many people are. They're one of the top-selling bands in all of music history. Uh, Just listening to these two friends talk about their histories, about what they love about music, um, what they don't like about music, it's it's really a great joy to listen to. So check that out. Uh, I've had the pleasure of being on their show a couple of times. They've been on my show before, each as individuals and as the Deep Purple podcast. Uh, When I interviewed them very early on in the show, I was uh, presented with an opportunity to interview them for their uh, three-year anniversary, which I was very, very honored to do. Uh, great show. And John and I actually have uh, the highest ranked, or I should say the highest downloaded show on the Haskin Cast podcast is the episode where he and I reviewed Kiss's album, Dress to Kill, back on episode 213, which aired in January of 2022. And the most YouTube viewed show, because I, I do very few shows on YouTube these days, since most of what I do are album reviews or or things like that, as opposed to anything where I don't play music just doesn't go on YouTube. So my highest ranked uh, YouTube episode is the uh, the episode where I reviewed uh, Officer Petrie Hawkins Bird and his wife Makita Bird, where uh, we talked about all kinds of things, Judge Judy and what was going on with her cancer and all kinds of stuff. That's my highest ranked YouTube video. But the YouTube episode for uh, the Dress to Kill uh, review does not exist. So it never had a chance. It just never had a chance. But I'm very grateful for John to come on these shows and do these reviews. We've got a bunch of shows that we're going to be doing down the line, uh, as well as some other guests I've got. But enjoy the first of this three-part episode, reviewing Toys in the Attic by Aerosmith. I spilled tea all over myself. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Haskin, here with a very special guest to review a very special album. John Matola is here with me from the Deep Purple Podcast. John, how are you doing? Hey, what's up, Scott? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. That is about the end of my energy. I'm going to be really monotone <laughs> through the rest of the show going forward. No, I'm really excited that uh, that you're here to do this one with me. It's a great album. Uh, Toys in the Attic. What is your experience with this one? Uh, this is um, this is probably one of the first Aerosmith albums that I uh, got into. Um, they weren't one of my main bands, but I got into them um, uh, like a little bit later, I guess you could say. Um, I mean, I was still like in high school, mm-hmm. uh, but one of my uh, one of my best friends in high school, uh, Derek, who. Um, you know, at this point, you would have met um, on the uh, the gr- uh, the grunge roundtable show. Um, what like is a was a huge Aerosmith fan, like the way that I was a Kiss fan. So like you know, uh, just pictures of Aerosmith plastered all over his wall, the Bad Boys of Boston, uh, the whole thing. So you know, I I knew like I had heard them through him, and um, you know, it was never a competition thing, like uh, like me and Nate with the Beatles. <laughs> you <laughs> right, know, yeah. 
So I always thought like, oh, these guys are really cool. They never really had a shtick, you know, like uh, the 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 makeup or like, you know, some kind of thing. They were just like this really good, like bluesy hard rock band. So at some point, um, you know, through, you know, we I saw them in concert like a, like a dozen times, like in the 90s with him mm-hmm. um, because he's like, hey, you want to go? And I'm like, yeah, I want to go. And they were always a great show. So I started listening to their back catalog. And of course, you know, I'd always read great things about like at at that time, like, you know, Toys in the Attic, Rocks, like these are all like the classic albums. Mm -hmm. So um, this was the one that always um, that I really liked because it was, uh, you know, really early on in their career, like a lot of like great songs. I thought great production. Um, It was just, um, you know, I remember like, like spinning it quite a bit. Yeah, it is a it is a great album. As a band, they're they haven't been a band that I've really followed. Uh, I know this album very well, and I know Permanent Vacation very well, and mm-hmm. you know a, a handful of their singles that you couldn't avoid if you tried because they're always played on the radio. Um, every time I get in my car before I put my iPod on, I either hear ACDC or Aerosmith is, is on the radio every time. It's amazing. Um, but they're not a band I particularly followed, but those two albums have great significance for me. Uh, I think what uh, Permanent Vacation was much later than when I started following them, but Toys in the Attic was, I would say, maybe when I was 13 or 14, so pretty early on uh, as a musical influence. And I thought they were just a great, straightforward band. But as time has gone on, I realized they're very similar to Whitesnake in their subject matter. Most of their songs are about love or sex and not, they don't really tell a lot of stories outside of that. They have a handful from what I know, but most of the songs that I've heard are pretty much, I'm getting laid. <laughs> yeah, I think um, Steven Tyler was a little, um, I would say like, um, I don't know if he was more subtle, but he was, um, he delivered it. Uh, a little differently than Coverdale. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coverdale seemed to be more like you're just like, yeah, okay, I know what he's talking about. Steven Tyler was a real uh, wordsmith, you know? So, um, um, I mean, I actually, when I think back about it, you just talked about permanent vacation. When I was like maybe, I don't know, 11 or 12, that's when permanent vacation came out. Mm-hmm. And I had had like a childhood friend that had, had that album. So, I mean, I had heard that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and really liked it, even though like listening to it years later, I actually think it's good. There are a lot of people that, you know, 70s Aerosmith fans that don't like that at all. They think that's the mark that is the beginning of their like AOR, like sellout phase or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think it's still a strong album. But then going into high school, Pump, Permanent Vacation, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Pump, Get a Grip. Um, you know, all those came out and I mean, try to get away from those videos and everything else, like uh, on MTV and everything like that. I would just heard them like all over the place. So it's not like I was unfamiliar with them at all. Um, even if I didn't have like a best friend that, um, you know, loved their music. So I think it was a combo of both of those things that maybe want to delve back and, um, you know, listen to their older stuff. And, um, you know, I really, um, uh, I'm, you know, there's there's rarely anything that I'm disappointed with. I mean, even the 90s stuff was still really, I think, strong, even if it was like more commercial um, than the, you know, than the 70s stuff. But um, I always thought it was really interesting because they're another band that had a really interesting history um, as well. And you know that I love a, a good, you know, band history with the, the fighting and the drama and the drugs. And, you know, it's like, uh, you know, Kiss has it. Aerosmith has it. So. 
you know, I bought into it. Yeah, this this would be a good band to delve into the history of because they have had mm. so many ups and downs and, you know, uh, people coming in and out of the band, coming back to the band, uh, Steven Tyler leaving and them going, oh, we're going to carry on without you then, fuck you, and him going, no, you're not. <laughs> I mean, just, and I'm going to go do American Idol now and you guys can just wait for me. I mean, so much. And then all the controversy about, he's singing a lot of pedophile type songs and, you know, they're, they're just, they had everything, they had it all, the drugs and everything. Uh, so from from an interest standpoint, yeah, they're a band definitely with a very rich history. The thing that that I don't like and is kind of a turnoff to me about the band is that, uh, and, and I've talked about this a little bit with the guys that do our Aerosmith podcast on the Deep Dive Podcast Network, is that Steven Tyler seems to have to appear everywhere in a song. You know, not so much on the older songs, but as time has gone on, if if he doesn't have lyrics, he's got to make sounds. Like, he just has to let you know that he hasn't gotten fired during the course of recording the song. He's still with the band. And I think that's kind of a shame because you have some really good musicians that have come in this band. And he, he kind of, like, undercuts some guitar solos to me sometimes by just making sounds and things that I, I just feel is a little gratuitous for for who he's playing with. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of a turnoff to me. Uh, the only song I can think of, though, that I really don't like is Janie's Got a Gun. Uh, that's just a, I, I don't know, I just never liked that song. But apart from that, I can't say there's another Aerosmith song that I don't like. I might be tired of some of them. Like, you know, I've heard Sweet Emotion enough times for a while. But there, there isn't a song where I'm like, that, that's a shit song. I don't like that. Not one. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Janie's Got a Gun. Um, all the all the songs from that era, even even the ballads, um, like um, like uh, uh, crying, mm-hmm. um, amazing, crazy. Um, I, I just like they were on the radio and they were on MTV. I heard them so much. School dances, like I mean, yeah, uh, you know, it's just like I hear them and it's like I don't, uh, I don't hate them, but I definitely like have that kind of nostalgia for them. Uh, just being like, because it, it, it brings me back. So it's like not necessarily my favorite stuff, but um, you know, even um, uh, there's there's one that plays lately. Like um, 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 at work, they have they those kind of um, um, kind of like um, I don't know, like maybe decades stations or whatever. Like if it's on like the a picture like the late '90s ones, you'll hear like, oh wow, geez, you can tell where they called those songs from. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them was. Um, um, what it takes by Aerosmith, mm-hmm. and um, and it's like every time I hear it, I always like I always find myself just enjoying it because it's just like I, it's it's so familiar, and you know that like you know there are parts of like the uh, uh, the the chorus and stuff like that that just like you know have hooked me in. So now it's almost kind of become like a you know the you know the background music, figuratively and literally, um, you know, to like my my day. Um, um, there are a lot of songs like that, um, you know, on kind of those, like, um, I don't want to say the, not, not canned music, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, those stations that just have these really particular types of it. Of course, it's always the hits. Right. Um, but, um, but yeah, I can't really think of a lot of those songs that I dislike maybe when they, I want to say late nineties, early two thousands, I think is when they kind of lost me because they had, um, um, just push play, which is a little, you know, uh, kind of uh, a little bit of a different direction. They were really, it felt like they were experimenting with a lot of like, you know, sounds and production techniques and stuff. And they did honking on Bobo, which, uh, you know, 
I think everybody thought was going to be this really raw album and it turned out to be something else. And, you know, that's when I started to kind of lose interest, but that, that prime time, like the, when they were really huge, like, like late eighties, early nineties was when I was just coming into music and that, you know, like I said, couldn't, I couldn't escape it. And, um, you know, when I heard that their, their seventies stuff was, of course I was familiar with, um, you know, uh, sweet emotion and, um, walk this way and all that, because I mean, I heard that stuff as a kid too. So, uh, right. but when I delved even further into their catalog, it was, um, I was just like, wow, there's so much good stuff here. Like, you know, even when you get into the later seventies, the early eighties stuff, um, you know, like, um, like jailbait and stuff like that, mm-hmm. just like such, such cool, like, like high energy, like interesting stuff. I think it would be, you know, I, I learned a lot when we did the review of, of the Kiss album a few months ago, and mm. I think it would be very interesting to look at their history and do kind of a timeline of the ups and downs of the bands between the drugs and the relationships and all of that versus albums that people liked and albums that people didn't like. I mean, obviously, there's going to be that this is like like you might like Permanent Vacation more because that was a very special time for you. You're coming into music. This album comes out. It really resonates with you, um, whereas as maybe a couple albums later didn't so much. So there's going to be that. But just like general Aerosmith fans who have followed the band for a while, I would be curious the ups and downs, because sometimes when bands are going through tumultuous times, they come out with some amazing albums. Look at, at Deep Purple's Come Taste the Band. I mean, mm-hmm. there was, or, or, you know, Who Do We Think We Are or or Machine Head. I mean, those are all great albums, aside from all the flack that Who Do We Think We Are gets. Um, but they turned out some great music during those times. And those were some of the roughest times in the band. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I agree. It would it would be interesting to see how how those flow charts lined up. I I, I think there might be something there because it's almost like you push harder into the music to get away from that other stuff than you would if you were just like, okay, it's time to get back in the studio and write an album, and there's no there's no angst, there's no pressure. It's just time to do it because the record company said so, or you yeah. finished your tour and it's time to do another album. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we do have a couple of very well known songs on this album. Uh, that we're going to get into. Uh, but first, I want to say, now you come uh, from the Deep Purple podcast. You guys are getting close to 200 episodes, I believe. How, yeah. does, how does it feel? I mean, you guys have really hung in there. Most podcasts don't make it to the first 10. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, yeah, it's almost like I, I don't even think about it. You know what I mean? It's like we just we we just show up every week or sometimes twice a week to crank out episodes. And, um, you know, it's, it's definitely, we've gotten into, uh, you know, this great routine and, um, um, just kind of naturally gotten into this, um, this routine of like, um, you know, the flow of the show and, you know, what we're going to do and, you know, how we banter with each other. And, um, you know, sometimes we'll kick around ideas like, uh, most of them, you know, Nate will come up with, he, he comes up with the schedule, um, recommends most topics. Uh, sometimes I'll throw my, uh, my two cents in, Hey, we should do this. But I mean, I got to give him uh credit where it's due is is like, you know, he's the, um, he's definitely the driving force. Uh, but, um, uh, behind like, you know, the, uh, the production and moving things forward, social media, all that, you know, like, um, I just think back to when we started and just, we were both wondering like, Oh, gee, I wonder who's going to listen to this. You know, we just put it out <laughs> in the world and, you know, but I think a lot of it, um, as you would probably agree, has to do with like promotion and, um, you know, the relationships that you build with people. That's how we met each other, uh, you and me. Um, and, um, just really enjoying, 
what you do. Like, you know, we don't look at it as a job. Like me, me yeah. and Native often joke that we wish that we can get some wealthy patrons so we could quit our jobs and do, <laughs> do this full time. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but yeah, but we're, we're excited about it, you know, and like you've always said, it's a consistency too. Like we're on such this streak that we're just like, you know, when the, when the, um, when the inevitability happens that we might have to miss a week, we're just like, no. And we push even harder to make sure we don't break that streak. Yeah. You guys have never missed an episode in all this time. And, and I, nope. I certainly have great respect for that. It's not an easy thing to do. Even if you're only doing one show a week, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a lot to keep up on because there's not just you sit down and record. You've got to do all the editing and all the footage clipping and all that. You've got to do the research to prepare for the episode. Uh, it it really is a lot of of effort, and it's just you two guys. You don't have a team behind you. I mean, you have people that help out when you guys call for help, or people might send in stuff to you, but you don't have a dedicated team of people that just do certain things. Like you don't have somebody doing your editing or your noise filters or all that. Like you guys sit there and do all that. So it is a lot of work. And and coming from somebody who does all that alone, I can really appreciate how much work goes into that. Uh, but also, you guys just make it fun. And I love that you have these random episodes, like the the one that came out the week that that you and I are recording right now, was a whole episode on the song Child in Time and different versions of Child in Time uh, that have come out through different versions of the band. And it Mm -hmm. was a great episode. I would have never thought of that. I would have never thought about doing, you know, something like that. It was when I like, I get excited when I first get the notification that a new episode has come out because I'm like, what are they doing? What is this week all about? You know, and every one of them like, all right, great. I can't wait to listen because they're they're They've all been good. Yeah, well, you know, we want to um, we want to keep it fresh, too. You know, like, um, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of my input is like, um, uh, like, hey, we've we've done like um, too many, too many, like not deep purple shows. Maybe we should get back to focusing on the actual band. And then I think like the past several episodes, we've done just deep purple. And I'm like, well, maybe we should like start branching out to the family again. Right. Um, or like we've done too many album reviews in a row. Cause sometimes like I'll get bored of it and I'm like, what else could we do? Or can we do a shorter episode or can we have a guest on and yeah. uh, stuff like that? And it's, it's, uh, it's kind of scary how like, you know, Nate will show me the schedule and it aligns with what I just said. Like I, um, I won't give anything away, but I'm like, Hey, how about this? And he's like, actually I, I have that kind of penciled in for like a month from now. And I was like, yeah, right. Nice. So, um, um, you know, things like, and then, you know, uh, crazy things that we like to do, like the, uh, the Christmas special or the, the, the Coverdale tweets, which I know you is uh, one of your favorites. Oh yeah. Um, you know, st- stuff like that, that just varies from like the, Hey, we're going to review an album. You know, we want to, you know, uh, occasionally think of like, uh, you know, different things to do that, you know, people aren't going to, you know, hate. And, um, uh, there, I feel like there may be a couple of things I could probably count on one hand, like, you know, from people that I've talked to, um, that have just been like, yeah, I wasn't crazy about this episode or whatever, but I don't, you know, and I feel that way about a few, you know, myself, but not, not a lot. So I'm, I'm really happy that we always, you know, are coming up with, you know, good ideas that keep people engaged and interested and that are fun to do. Well, and and even if I don't particularly care about the album or don't like the album as you guys are reviewing it, I still enjoy the episode. Like I still enjoy having that experience with you guys because, you know, even if it's like a War Horse album that isn't that good or or a couple other ones that, that you've done that just I just did not like the album. Um, you guys make it fun. It's just fun to take that ride with you, you know? Yeah. Just awesome. Thank you. 
Uh, so check out the Deep Purple podcast, guys. I've got the link in the show notes. And of course, by the time this came out, we'll have already done our roundtable discussion on grunge music, which we're not actually, we haven't actually recorded it yet. Uh, so I'm really excited to get to that. We're recording it on Sunday. This mm. is uh, Monday night, the week before. So that is going to be a lot of fun. I, I That was your suggestion, actually. You came up with that and sent it over to me. And I, I did right away. I'm like, that is a brilliant idea. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm uh, look, looking forward to that. Or I I hope at this point it was good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it will be. Uh, so our first song. Well, let's let's uh, talk a little bit about the album cover. I'm trying to remember what it is. I actually haven't looked at the album cover in a long time. I know there's like toys or something. Yeah, is I think it, it's a. Uh, I'm yeah, not it's as like pre- a toy a toy chest, right? I'm not as prepared as your partner, obviously. Who. You know, he's got eight different versions of the album cover by every record company that's released it. You know, uh, let's see here. Images. Oh, there. Oh, yeah, that's it. It's the, the brown Aerosmith logo. Mm-hmm. If I can move this out of the way. Yeah, there we go. Oh, yeah, that's right. So it's just a bunch of weird toys coming out of a, t- a toy chest that's clearly in, you know, in, in a like a dusty attic. Uh, I, I think it's just weird. And, and this is definitely a product of the 70s because not oh, too yeah. many bands these days would release an album cover that's predominantly brown. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely, like, I, I feel like that looks like the time it was released in because it makes me think of, like, the dominant colors and, like, the... um uh, of, like, the houses that we grew up in. You know, the, the, the brown... Uh, you know, the, the, the brown paneling, the, the, that, uh, mustard yellow fridge, you know, uh, <laughs> brown paneling on the walls, like that type of thing. But to me, this looks like, you know, this looks like an attic, you know, mm-hmm. from, you know, the seventies or the eighties, or it reminds me of like, you know, those, um, uh, like, uh, cartoons, um, from when we were growing up, like, uh, you know, that same kind of like animation or, um, you know, uh, illustration from like a uh, cartoon, like, uh, Charlotte's web or something like that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Very much so. And I, I wonder if, if it wasn't called toys in the attic, would we, would we be able to identify that it was an attic? It does give you the feel that it is, but that word kind of leads you to see it that way. So it could just be, you know, that could be a basement. It could be a finished room or, or just like a wooden room in a cabin. Yeah. But, but obviously we're led to it being an attic. The other thing I think is cool is that the font for both the band's name and the album title are in orange. And orange was another very predominant color in the mm-hmm. 70s. In fact, a lot of restaurants had brown booths with orange tables or orange accents or the little yep. uh, you know, frosted glass between your side of the booth and the table on the other side would be uh, frosted orange squares with circles in them. Um, very, very classic of the 70s. So this, the, these colors, you would not release anything like this today unless you were trying to be retro. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This, is, this was retro before retro was retro. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like trying to bring disco back. You know, it's just yeah. certain things just don't need to happen. Uh, but I think overall, I think it's a very cool cover. I think it's very well done. I think it's interesting too that the picture is fairly small. So much of the album cover is designed like a, like a picture frame, without yeah. the the lines of a frame it's just like the the actual drawing is very small inside the surface space of the album cover which i always thought was kind of weird yeah i mean i, I don't know i feel like i'm kind of used to that uh from you know some of the some of the albums from the 70s like uh that can be like this and other ones are just like take up the full you know album mm-hmm. uh you know a, a jacket um but um 
but yeah, whatever, whatever the reason for it is, um, I, I definitely think it works. And I mean, I definitely think the, you know, the illustration, um, you know, and all the different, uh, you know, kind of, uh, plush toys on here are like, uh, you know, really, you know, just tell a story, you know, I, I just, somehow I feel like it just matches up with the band's like kind of, uh, creativity, their image. It's kind of like, it's kind of like no nonsense. You know what I mean? And in the bottom left, we have a, what looks like a baby in a ring of keys climbing into the picture they're they're part in the album on the album surface the brown area and it looks like they're trying to get into the attic it looks like everybody's kind of like going to bed for the night and they're all getting back in the toy box uh, yeah. I, I could be wrong since the horse and the bear are facing the opposite way but it looks like they're all trying to get together and do whatever it is they're going to do i don't know how this actually relates to the album other than the title song but i do think it's a very cool cover i think it's really creative i i love the the detail of it and uh, I, I even do like the cover or the colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's dig into our first song, which is Toys in the Attic. I love Steven Tyler's double tracking on that. His voice sounds fantastic. Yeah, this is um this is definitely like a great opener. Um I'm pretty sure that they use this in like uh as an opener on um some of the tours that I've seen him on as well. Mm. Um but what I really like about this too is like you have um like uh I mean, you know, the the riff is really cool and I mean it's got a great groove to it, but it's just like Tom Hamilton's bass And this is just like so, just so good throughout the whole song, especially that, you know, the part that we didn't hear later is is like, you know, in the, I think it's like toward the end of the solo where he just like, you know, he really, you know, he does this run where he's just like, he's going nuts on the bass. It's just like really cool stuff. Yeah. And and it's a good chance for a a rock bass player to really shine under a great guitar riff, because a lot of times you don't get that. They'll play, they'll back off a little bit just to let the riff kind of take center or front stage. But I, I think he plays very well on the song. I love the bass on it. Um, I love the production, too. I mean, you, everything yeah. is clean. You can hear it all. There's no too muffled bass drum, too poppy snare. I mean, everything sits very, very well in the mix. Yes, that was uh, that was another thing that I was going to um, say as well. Is That's one of the reasons I think this is an, a great album is, is that, as you just mentioned, you can, you can hear everything. You know, everything sits really well in the mix. So that's why you can appreciate all the instruments at um you know at one time you know you can listen to the riff but you can also pick out you know the bass line you can listen to the drums nothing's overtaking anything else mm-hmm. yeah and, and i think the other thing that, that i really like about this song is it's not that anything's repeated too much to the point of nauseam i mean the riff does get repeated a little bit as as it would but it's not like we only have this part and one other part in the song you know they've got a nice bridge in there it goes in some directions that really keep the song fresh and just not getting too repetitive 
Yeah, no, I I agree. It's it's uh, it is catchy without getting um, getting to uh, to be too much. Mm-hmm. And Steven Tyler from from the songs that I know doesn't do a huge amount of back or double tracking like he did here where you know there's there's just a lot of it right off the bat and i think he sounds there's probably not a lot of people that could sing backups to him that would sound good with his voice mm-hmm. yeah i mean he's yeah he definitely has a unique voice I'm, I'm really glad that he switched to his his regular singing voice on this one mm-hmm. um on this album as we know he's like uh the the famous story of how he changed his voice to sound different on the first album because he didn't he didn't like it or he wanted to sound a certain way and then he just sang naturally on this one mm-hmm. which i definitely think um you know uh, you know i mean it's it, he's got a great voice you know he should have done that on the first album but that's neither here nor there i'm just glad that this one came out the way it did yeah i agree and i i he sounds very natural and very comfortable as a singer and i think he maybe he just needed to get through that to be able to do something like this maybe he needed to to see what it was like to not be natural and go, okay, I thought that was a good idea. Now I see it's not. Now it's time to make this work. And on top of really incredible songwriting on this album, you've got a voice that really uh, brings out the feeling. I think he's he's a very passionate singer on this album. I don't always feel mm. that from him. Sometimes I feel like he he's great at singing the words, but he doesn't always just really bring it on every song. But I think on this album... Every single was every single one. I feel like he does. Yeah, yeah. So our second song uh, on the album it really changes gears too. Going from just as you said, a great opening song. This song just says this is a rock album. So buckle up. And and I love that it just kicks right into a, a good strong beat and a great riff. But already we're going to dial things down a little bit with Uncle Salty. There's a lot of reverb on that guitar that you really don't notice until it's isolated like that last part we just heard. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think of this one? This this is another one that I uh I really liked uh as well. Uh it's just really um like you said we go from a really high energy rock track to this which dials it back, but I don't think that that's um I don't think it's a bad thing. Um I mean I always really love this song because it's just it had um is another one it had a really slow groove to it, like once it kicks in mm-hmm. uh to the verse. And um I always love Steven Tyler's vocals on this. Um, you know, I just thought it was a really uh, kind of interesting song. Like the like um it wasn't it wasn't like a, a hard rock or like the first one, but I thought it was uh, really melodic and like almost heavy, but in a different way, mm-hmm. you know, maybe because there was a lot of like um, 
I don't know, it was a lot of like um, uh, effects on his voice as well as like the reverb on the guitar. It's just like, I think the production had a lot to do with it too. It just sounds really like just, you know, full and like the songs just still got a great groove to it. So it's, um, you know, I think it's again, a combination of a bunch of different elements that make it, you know, just really, you know, interesting and like, you know, a uh, cool second track to listen to. I think this is the band at, at the top of their game for writing and thinking about how young they were and the stuff that they're cranking out on this album is, is really incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the song structure is just, it's really interesting. It, it, it's another one that really takes you on a journey going from one part to another part to another part. And then the, the level of Steven Tyler's vocals that he's not pushing anything too hard. He's not screeching. He's not growling. He's not making those, you know, gravelly Steven Tyler sounds. He's actually really smooth on the song until the end when he needs to kick it in and put in a little bit more power. But he also starts sounding more like he's in the distance at the end, uh, which I kind of like. I, I think it was it was nice to have him almost disassociated with the song while he's still in the song. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, uh, who knows what the the creativity came from? You know, I, I think it mostly came from them. I think some of it came from the drugs. Um, <laughs> but I mean, if you read, have you read any of their books? I have not. I mean, I read the um, the Joe Perry one was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure I read another one, like just like, a, I mean, I read the, uh, the the Joey Kramer autobiography, the Joe Perry one. I'm pretty sure I read another, like a biography on them. Like, um, I can't remember. It was a while ago. But um, one of the things that I just remember from, all of those stories was just um, like a lot of other bands in the early seventies that I love was those early days when they were like young and hungry and trying to figure things out is that they were really creative and they took like a lot of time to work out their, you know, their skills and their chops. And they spent a lot of time on like lyrics and practicing and coming up with ideas and like, you know, stuff that, you know, inevitably, you know, you lose when you, get too big and then you have to go in and you have to crank out another album so you could make, you know, everybody a ton of money, you know, but it was, this was just like, you know, them in the early days, just like, you know, how do we perfect our craft? Like, what do we do? And the, the creativity just kind of like, you know, I thought, um, you know, this was, this was part of it. I think that's what made them so great, you know, um, was just that, you know, they, they really harnessed that, that early creativity from when they were young and they, they took a lot of time to like work on it. And even like uh, the stories of Steven Tyler, just taking like everything so seriously, like, like uh, Joey Kramer's stories of how he like mercilessly worked him as a drummer Mm -hmm. because he was a drummer, you know Um, just like, you know, that kind of dedication they put into the point of like, you know, almost like, you know, abusing each other, like, come on, you got to get it right, you know, because they just loved it so much and they wanted it to be so perfect. And Mm -hmm. it really comes through in these, you know, early songs and albums. Yeah. But that doesn't help with the mental state of the band. I mean, you may, you may crank out some great music, but how long will you last if you don't find some kind of balance to work together? Well, as we've seen with so many bands, Right. I think about a band like Guns N' Roses who had, you know, years to put Appetite for Destruction together, you know, working on those songs, writing and perfecting. And then the album explodes. They're huge. And now the record company says, okay, we need a follow up. You've got X amount of weeks, six weeks or whatever it is to write a new album. They're like, well, wait a minute. That album took us years. And now we're being put on this this level of you have to write something that's as good as or better 
because you made millions of dollars and we expect that the follow-up's going to make m- that much or more. I mean, the mm-hmm. pressures on top of that uh, are, are so different. And then you've got the, you know, the shorter time writing frame. You don't have time to perfect all of that. It's really, that is so much to deal with. And yeah. you figure when they came off of doing this album, and I don't know how successful it was right off the bat. This might've been one that took a little time, but you know, you're going to have a couple of hits off of an album like this. The record company can see where it's going to go and to say, all right, now you got to do another album. That's, that's again, a lot of pressure on a band that's now been on tour, living in hotel rooms together, stuck on a hot, smelly bus together. It's, it's not easy to be in a band, especially when you've Mm -hmm. made that level of success. I think it gets harder. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But a great song. I, I love Uncle Salty. I this has always been one of my favorites. And I, I love that the music is not uh it's not too intense. It really is just kind of these like little gentle beds of music that you just go from one to the next to the next as the song changes. It never really gets crazy heavy or anything like that, but it doesn't need to. It just it just sits right nicely after a big heavy song to open the album. Right. Yeah. And I mean I think, you know, we're gonna hear through the rest of the album too how that just uh you know it's the first you know taste of how uh you know aerosmith can do you know so many different things within the you know confines of being hard rock but it's not just like heavy song after heavy song over and over again you know there's like you know there's a lot of a variety in their writing yeah absolutely and and this album is definitely not an album where you can say all the songs are heavy all the songs are hard rock all the songs are this or that because it's a real variety pack that we get on this album. I mean, it's, it's rock, but it's not, it, it's not light rock. It's not hard rock. It kind of falls somewhere in the middle, but you get enough of a variety on this album to not be able to define it as anything other than rock. 